and Mark Waldman. They are two um, neuroscientists. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how God changes your brain. And the, the subtitle is Breakthrough fi- Findings from a Leading Neuroscientist. All right. I finished just short of this last point. As you were. Assume, assume the position. Was it really? Yeah, Okay, it was the Lord coming back into the house. <laughs> okay, so the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the believer, very quickly to just finish the point so that in case any of you are wanting to fill in any fill-ins, um, I mentioned the, the, uh, the John 7 37 uh, text where Jesus says, He that believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And it says, This he spoke about the Spirit who was still to be given. The Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he was um, speaking about, the, in the context, uh, uh, again, it's too long a story to go into, but the the scripture he is referring to, the only place that he could possibly have been referring to is Isaiah 32, where Isaiah says that um, those who, when the king rules in righteousness, rulers will rule with justice, and they will be like a shelter from the storm, like, um, and then it goes on and says, like streams of water in the desert. Um, uh, and so he's speaking about the fact that, and it goes on to talk about their job description, which is to restore the ruins, to raise up um, uh, uh, new communities, to bring transformation and healing and restoration to people. So he, the Spirit flows from within to others. Remember what we said last night, that Jesus did not operate in his earthly ministry. He did not operate as God... But he laid aside his rights as God, and it says that the, the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and as a result, he went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And so Jesus did not take an unfair advantage over us uh, in the way that he ministered. He was modeling something. And that's why he could say, the works that I do, you will do also. If he had done the works as God, he could not say that, because none of us is God. But he did the works as a man under authority, under the authority of his father, responsively listening to and obeying his father, and empowered by the, the Holy Spirit. He empowered the early church, of course, and so we see... Over and over, when the Spirit came upon them, they were filled with boldness. They, uh, they were able to cast out demons and, and bring, uh, bring the gospel, take the gospel to, um, to every community in, the, in the, the known world. We need a working knowledge of spiritual phenomena. That's what we're going to go on to now. So, if you're following in your notes, we're now talking about the Holy Spirit's gifts, number two. Gee, that's amazing. I took a whole session to do one point. 
Now, that shouldn't amaze me, does it? should it? Um, it always happens to me. Okay, so Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is a very important chapter. And in fact, chapter 12 to 14, chapters 12 to 14, are really important for us to understand what is, the, what is church for? What is the gathered church about? What, what, what is our purpose there? And, uh, and in the context, Paul talks about the fact that all of us are supposed to exercise spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. That's what the gathering of the church is about. It's for building up the body of Christ. It's for encouraging one another. It's for build, uh, 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 exhorting one another. It's for um, the, the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. And as I said last night, I believe that the gathered church is the practice ground preparing us for the real game which starts as we walk out the door. Now, this is what some of the modern movements have been banging on about for years. John Wimber's whole point uh, in terms of his ministry was to say he believes that everybody, every Christian should be, be equipped and trained to be able to heal the sick and cast out demons and proclaim the, the kingdom of God. Of course, many people, many churches have been saying that for a long time, but for the first time in the, in the 80s, we heard someone who was saying, this is how, here's how. And of course, now with uh, Bethel and uh, Supernatural School of Ministry and evangelism and things like that, there is a, a continued emphasis on the idea which Wimber started out with, which we, he called power evangelism or signs and wonders. Uh, the exercising of, of uh, signs and wonders as a, as a support or, if you like, a confirmation of the preached gospel, of the proclaimed gospel or message of the kingdom of God. And so, coming back here to, to Paul talking in this uh, definitive teaching about spiritual gifts. And this is what he says. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, nevmatikon, concerning spirituals, he doesn't use the word charismata here. He uses the word, the things of the Spirit, is a be, would be a better translation. Concerning the things of the Spirit, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. What, what is the thing that hinders people from taking risk? Fear. Fear of the unknown. Particularly fear of the unknown. When you ask people why they don't uh, um, uh, evangelize their friends more, what is the number one reason given? Fear. I, I don't, I'm afraid that I won't have the answers to their questions. And so Paul is saying, okay, let's deal with the major obstacle to your being used by God, whether it's in evangelism or in any other sphere of ministry to people. Ignorance. He says, you know how it was when you were Gentiles? That means unbelievers. You were enticed and led away to idols that couldn't even speak. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by God's Spirit can say Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't mean just using a phrase. What he's talking about is 
in terms of the things that you do under inspiration, what, is, what comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your practice? What is the effect that you leave on people? Um, in a way, Paul is, is, um, is connecting to the teaching of Jesus about the blasphemy of, against the Holy Spirit. He's saying, guys, be a little bit more generous in terms of the way you evaluate what someone is doing. People are going to make mistakes, but don't attribute that to evil. Don't say that they are doing evil things. Or, you know, you know, if they make one mistake in their doctrine, don't say, well, that means that everything they do has no value. We all make many mistakes in what we say. I mean, I would hate... I've seen some of the things people do with preachers by taking one phrase of a sermon and dismantling it and proving that the guy is a heretic from one phrase of a sermon. And I thought, Lord Jesus, please don't ever let them find my sermons. Because who hasn't said dumb things in the middle of a sermon? Not every word of a sermon is anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, every so often we hit a phrase that we go, that was the Lord. You, you know it when you're preaching and you go, wow, that was amazing what I just said. Then you know that it was the Lord. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, let me not spend too much time on this. There are varieties of gifts, says Paul, and here he does use the word charismata, but the spirit is the same. And there are varieties of ministries, but the Lord is the same. And there are varieties of results, but God is the same, and it is He who produces the results in everyone. Did you see Paul's introduction to spiritual gifts? And he says the entire Trinity is involved. The Spirit and the Lord and God the Father are all involved when spiritual gifts are in operation. So this is not like, okay, it's over to you, Holy Spirit. This is your specialist area. Uh, the, the, if you like, the motivation, Paul talks about uh, ministries or service. You see, Jesus was the great servant. And so he says the motivation of spiritual gift is, is to serve like the Lord who was the great servant, who gave his life as a ransom for many, who came not to be served but to serve. So Jesus, I mean, Paul is saying this, when you walk in the door of the church, Come together with and in partnership with the Trinity. Come in identification with the Trinity and the agenda of the Trinity. Why does God come to church? Answers? To bless us. To edify. To build up the body of Christ. What else? To encourage us. To save us. To heal us. That's why he comes to church. He comes to dwell in the house, but it's not, God is not self-centered in his purpose of coming to church. He comes to church so that the world may see that God is the God who loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us as we are. And will heal and deliver and save and cleanse and change and transform and fix and restore and do all of those Amazing things. And then he says, oh, and by the way, when I come to church, I have no hands. So you're it. 
When I come to church, I have no mouth to speak, and so I'm going to use yours. When I come to church, I have no eyes that you can observe what I am seeing, but I will look through your eyes. I will identify the places where I want my life to land and to change and to heal and to fix and to deliver. Do all of those wonderful things. To make of you a blessing so that by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul is saying three things here. He's talking about motivation, being a servant. He's talking about um, uh, uh, um, power, God, who has the power to affect the results, to bring about the effects that he has in mind. So you're not short of the power to, to see these things happen because it's not yours anyway. It was never yours. And thirdly, that um, he's not short of the resourcing. In other words, there is diversity in what God wants to do. And so you don't have to conform to any one particular style or thing or gift, but you can let God use you in whatever way he chooses. You come with empty hands. We come with an empty toolbox to church. We say, Lord, I'm here, and if you want me to do anything, put the tools in my hand. And he says, what a pleasure. I was waiting for someone to say that. So do not be ignorant, but know. Understand that this, all of this is through gifts and ministries, and they will have results. He goes on to describe what they are. To each person has been given the ability to display the Spirit. Display the Spirit. For the common good. To, to one has been given, and I'm, uh, I don't remember which translation this is, a, a message of wisdom or a word of wisdom, a piece, a, a, a little bundle, a little offering, a little parcel of wisdom by the Spirit. To another, the ability to speak with knowledge, to give a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous results. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit produces all these results and gives what he wants to each person. Nine manifestations. We call them the charismata. We call them the gifts of the spirit. And of course, Paul does speak about them at the beginning as gifts. But in another place here, he says, to each person has been given the ability to display the Spirit. This, the word display. The, word, the Greek word is phanerosis. It's a lovely word. It literally means to shine out. To shine forth. We'll go, we'll go back there in a, in a little while. So, I'm a, I've arranged the shinings out of the Spirit in three groups. These are not, there are nine of them, and they are three, three groups. By the way, just a, another little aside here before we go there. Every one of these, except for two, were exercised by Jesus. And the Gospels 
Part of the purpose of the Gospels is to illustrate what each of them is. So you don't have to guess and you don't have to look up uh, commentaries in order to find out what a word of wisdom is. You just have to watch Jesus when he was asked the question like, um, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? It's a great example of a word of wisdom. He said, give me a coin. Give me a coin. And then he said, whose inscription is that? Whose image and superscription is that? They said, Caesar's. He said, well, then give it to Caesar. But to God, give to God. Give For God, you must give what God wants. And, and, and so on. Only, the only two that he didn't, well, we don't know, but we, do, we don't see him exercising, are tongues and interpretation of tongues. Those are the only two that Jesus never exercised, well, the Gospels do not record him as, as having exercised. All the other gifts are in evidence in Jesus' life and ministry. So, they are arranged in three groups. The first are the gifts of insight. Word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Three that have to do with insight. That has to do with knowledge and insight or uh, ability to understand things that only God could understand, that only God could have understood. In other words, in this segment or in this category of gifts, we have the thoughts of God represented. The thoughts of God are represented. Okay? The second group have to do with speech. They are... Prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And again, these are all supernaturally obtained. And so, don't believe the, the cessationist scholars who will say, the gift of tongues is the ability to learn a language quickly. Well, in a way it is, but very, very quickly. Like instantaneously, more like. But uh, that, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a supernatural expression of speech that could only have come from God. How many of you have spoken in tongues? When you spoke in tongues, were you convinced immediately that there was something divine going on? You know that when I spoke in tongues for the first time, I didn't believe in speaking in tongues. I was a cessationist. I'd been very well schooled by the Plymouth Brethren. I was a cessationist. And then my friend, my late friend, Carl Cronier, prayed for me. The Holy Spirit came upon me and I started speaking in tongues and laughing at the same time because I was going, my flesh was going, I don't believe in this stuff. And my tongue couldn't help itself. And as I spoke, I knew I was speaking in heaven. I knew it. I knew I was speaking to God at a level that my spirit had been longing for, but I didn't know how to even identify that. So it's a supernatural expression of speech that glorifies God. So here we are speaking the words of God. We are dealing with the words of God. They are the categories of the words of God. And then finally we have a third category which has to do with power. Expressions or displays of power. Faith. And this, 
is not just saving faith, but this is the faith that moves mountains, the faith that is, that is uh, greater than your normal, natural, daily abiding faith. This is the, the kind of faith that speaks to a fig tree and says, be cursed, dried up from the roots. This is the kind of faith that says to you, step out of the boat, Pete, and walk on the water. It's something that Pete would never have thought of and would never have been able to drum up the ability to do by himself. Supernatural. And by the way, always in response to God's word. Pete, today, you, come. Okay, it's the ability to stand at a tomb and say, Lazarus, today, you, out, come. So faith. Healing, of course, of all kinds. Gifts of healing and miracles. The working of miracles. So these are the three that, that fall into the category of the works of God. So we have the thoughts of God, the words of God, and the works of God. And three, each of these displays of the Spirit that fit into those three categories. What is their purpose? Remember this from last night? We spoke about the, what we call the excluded middle. The Western worldview that sees, on the one hand, a transcendent world beyond ourselves, beyond our world, and then an empirical world of our senses, the material world, that has all of these things like empirical observation, science, natural order, the secular world, business, money, uh, agriculture, etc., etc., this world and its problems. And what we said was that the Western worldview has no connection between the two. It doesn't see... Some people will uh, even acknowledge that 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 other world is real, that transcendent world world is real, but they will see no connection between the two. They will say, okay, that that part of your life, you go and pray and you go to church and you do all of that stuff. If it works for you, that's okay. But they don't actually see it as relevant to this world. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the thing that is from from God's heaven, from God's uh, gift or or, or intervention in the world, the way in which he fills that excluded middle. So other cultures, other religions will fill it with very often demonic things. And by the way, those demonic things are real. It's not like they're not real. They are real, and, but there's nothing for free. Okay, you, you, you try to link that world with your world through demonic stuff or through witchcraft or any of those kinds of things, that becomes a hook. And you are no longer your own. You have been captured from that point onward. So, uh, but the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the things that overcome the... Um, that closed the gap. Plato and Aristotle were the first ones who started to exclude these things and started the thing of the elevation of reason, rationalism, logical thought, as a result, rationalism overall. Um, existentialism, that was a more recent uh, uh, reality that basically where Sartre said, uh, I I think, therefore I am, I exist, and that's the only thing that matters. 
And, and the moment is all that matters, existentialism. So they, they did away with the idea of eternity and eternal life and life after death, etc. Um, what? Materialism. Modernism. Modernism, which basically also operates on the idea of rationality. Naturalism. Sorry, thank you. Doesn't help when, I, when you're colorblind as well, with text like this. And scientism, which basically says if it can't be put in a test tube, it's not real. Uh, if it if it's, can't be measured and proven by experimentation, it's not true. So th- what those things did was they rubbed out, they, they, they created this thing of the excluded middle. And what God does through spiritual gifts is he brings back the connection. And, and so spiritual gifts are the means that God has of connecting heaven to earth. In and through you. Every time you bring a word of wisdom to someone, a word of knowledge to someone, every time you prophesy over someone, every time you lay your hands on them and the Holy Spirit touches them, every time you bring a, a prophetic insight, a, 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 a gift of healing into someone's life, heaven is touching earth. Heaven, and again, we talk about heaven touching earth. It's heaven that's all around us and we become the bridge between that heaven and the person who has a need for heaven. For some of heaven's life and peace and blessing. It takes some of that age to come. Some of the bread of tomorrow and feeds it to the hungry right now. And again, please always, when you think about this, please always think about this. Number one, God can use me. And number two, he is God and I ain't. God can use us, but it is always according to His will and His word and His initiative. And our job is not to tell God what to do. Our job is not to pray in Jesus' name. Our job is to find out what He's doing and bless that. Don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Find out what He's doing and bless that. Now, here's a very important little thing. Uh, ignore the, 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 the big print, the spiritual gifts in the marketplace. Um, I want you to see a dynamic, and we're going to finish this with a bit of, a bit of uh, clinic time at the end. But Acts chapter 2, verse 4, bottom left first, speaks about spiritual gifts. The first time that spiritual gifts were manifest in the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them that ability or gave them the utterance. It actually literally says, gave them the speaking. They began to speak as the Spirit gave them the speaking. Again, those of you who have spoken in tongues, when you spoke in tongues, when you speak in tongues, who speaks, you or the Holy Spirit? How many say, I speak? How many say, the Holy Spirit speaks? See, because, and the truth is, it's all three. 
speak is a, an interesting word. It's laleo, and it, it, it literally means to let your tongue operate so that it is able to utter sounds. In English, we have two voices of a verb. The first voice is what we call the active voice. That is, I speak. I spoke. That's an active voice of the verb. I am the initiator. I am the operator. I have autonomy in this action. I have power to do the action. All right? Then there's a passive voice of the verb. Speaking was done to me. I was spoken to is a passive voice of a verb of the verb to speak. Or I was made to speak is another way you could you could you, you could use the passive voice. I was forced or made to speak. In the Greek language, there is a third voice of a verb. It's called the middle voice. And it's the voice that says, I spoke while speaking was done to me. And that's the voice in which the verb speak is used in Acts chapter four, uh, 2 verse 4. That's the voice in which the, the verb is put. And so they experienced what you and I experienced, which is that we speak while speaking is done to us. You have to speak, otherwise it doesn't happen. But if you speak and the Holy Spirit isn't making you to, causing you to speak, then the speaking is not the, His kind of speaking, but it's your kind of speaking. So we need both. We need the participation, we need the initiative of the Spirit, and we need the cooperation of the person in order for a spiritual gift to happen. Now why does God use tongues to do that? There's a number of reasons why He used tongues. The first is because it is so counterintuitive. It is so counter-rational that you know when this thing happens, the only, I mean, you can, you can deduce. For example, if you were given a word of wisdom as the, as, the, as the first spiritual gift that you ever operated in, you could easily conclude, you could analyze it afterwards and say, yes, but I, I kind of worked that out. Or does, you know, I got this good education. I read it somewhere. It was from the internet. You see, a word of knowledge, I mean, people have kind of reached all sorts of conclusions about it. could be guesswork, having a word of knowledge about someone. Some people, when they exercise words of knowledge, are guessing. They think they, they present it as words of knowledge, like, I believe that someone in this room of 2,000 people has a headache. That's like good guess, good, good guess that. In fact, I think there's about 15 of you that have got backache. Any room of people in which uh, more than 100 of those people are over the age of 30, you're probably going to have 15 that have backache. Anyway, I don't want to destroy your faith. <laughs> I just want to point out that God was very smart in choosing one that is completely counterintuitive to demonstrate that a human being can operate things called the gifts of the Spirit. He uses tongues. I think he's got another reason for using tongues, by the way, the ongoing use of tongues, and it's found in James's letter where he says, if anyone can tame the tongue, he can tame the entire person. Amazing that. So you see what God does is he comes and he says, 
here is the sign of my kingdom. I'm going to pick the naughtiest kid in the class and make a public example of my authority over him. And so he causes the tongue to speak the praises of God. And that is saying to the rest of the body, if I can handle Johnny, I can handle the rest of you. So look out. There's a kingdom coming. There's new authority. You're under, you're under new management. That's really the sign. Um, the, the, the final one is actually taken from Isaiah chapter 8, where he says, with with stammering lips and a new tongue, I will speak to this people. Uh, he was, at that time, he was talking about the Babylonians who were coming, but this also is a fulfillment, a, a, a second fulfillment of that prophecy where he says, you're going to hear other languages than Hebrew being spoken in my temple courts, and that will be a sign to you that you are going, you're about to be snared, you're going to fall backward and be snared and broken and taken. It was a sign of judgment that was coming. But that's a different subject. That's another seminar. Okay, so the middle voice. Remember this because here's what God does with tongues. He teaches you the ABC. This is the alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then if you've learned the ABC, you can start to put words together. And if you can put words together, you can put sentences together. And if you can put sentences together, you can put a whole essay together eventually. But the principles of operation by which you learn the ABC are going to be the same principles whenever you exercise a spiritual gift. You're going to have this dilemma. I remember the first time I felt the Lord was giving me a prophecy, and I'm going, is this me, is this you, is this me, is this you? That's when he used the word Turkey. That's when he was very impolite. He said, this is both of us, Turkey, just speak. I said, give me more and I'll speak it. He said, no, speak it and I'll give you more. I said, no, give me more and I'll speak it. It was the same as with the tongues thing. I, I had the words, they were here somewhere and here somewhere and there. And until I actually yielded my tongue to the process, I didn't know that those were God. But when I did, I knew. Same thing with prophecy. God gave me three words the first time I prophesied. Gave me three words. And I said, <laughs> and the, the principle is this. The principle is you're standing on a cliff. There's a 500 foot drop. And you say, and he says, walk across the gorge. And you say, put the bridge there and I'll walk. Even a plank. Come on already. Anything, like a cable. I'll even try a cable. And he goes, step out and I'll build the bridge as you go. You say, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> you know. Is this me? Is this you? Is this me? Is this you? I mean, imagine. Th think of yeah. So, so when you step off and you find, man, just like, what is that guy? Um, um, I always forget his name, man. The guy, the, 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 the guy who went and looked for the ark. The, the stories. That's, no, no, not the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. That's right. He, remember, he eventually threw some, threw some pebbles, and that's how he found out where the bridge was. <laughs> we don't, you don't even get that luxury. You just step, and God puts the bridge under your foot. 
Next step. Next step. And every so often you slip, but no failure is ever fatal. Every so often you skin your knees. Every so often you land on your rear end, but you're still on the bridge. You'll never die. You won't die. You shall not die, but live. And so, by the way, the same voice of the verb is used of Jesus when it says, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Jesus himself healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So who healed? Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Answer is all three. He had to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The same way he asks you and me to cooperate with his Holy Spirit in order to see the works of God done. So, I'm going to skip over this. Uh, I'll I'll just finish with these last couple of things. Jesus said, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, now we see through a glass darkly then face to face. Jesus says, I speak what I hear from my Father. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but I speak only what the Father tells me to speak. What does Paul say to us? We prophesy. We still prophesy in part, but we prophesy. And we are supposed to increase in the capacity to speak as we hear. So, just to underline this fact, please understand, you are not a container. Campbell's best wisdom soup. You are not a container, you are a conduit, you are a downpipe. That's all you are. That's all I am, a downpipe. The downpipe gets no merit badges for conducting the rain from the roof to the garden. Gets no... Gets no Badges. Doesn't go, well done, downpipe. Gee, what an amazing thing. All it did was it stood there and the water poured in at the top and poured out of the bottom. You're a conduit. And so you receive from the top and it is conducted through your hands to the person who needs it. And uh, our job is to practice at this. Pass it on and then wait for some more. If you hold on to it, you don't get more. That's the thing about a conduit. If it holds on to something, it becomes a blockage to the more that God wants to pour, or that whoever wants to pour through it. So, understand the concept of manifestation. Manifestation is a little bit like the word phaneros is a shining forth. Think about a flashlight. There's the flashlight. What is inside the, the flashlight? A battery and a bulb. And they're in proper connection with one another. And there's a switch. And when you turn the switch on, you see the manifestation of the light. Okay? The light... Is uh, the, the manifestation is what you see as a result of 
the battery connecting with the bulb connecting with the on switch. So you don't think about all of those. You don't think about what an amazing globe, what an amazing bulb, what amazing batteries. What you do is you appreciate the manifestation, which is the light that gets thrown on the subject that you were trying to get it thrown on. Now to change it slightly, and I think some of you will remember this, here is the flashlight looking at it from the front. What color is the light? What color is the light now? Whatever that color is. I'm colorblind, remember. What color is the light now? Pink. And now? And now? And what color is the light now? That was a trick question, or a series of trick questions. There is only one light, and it's light, it's always white. What I did was, I put a different colored lens in front of the light each time, so that what you saw was different manifestations of the one light. You saw different manifestations. See, the manifestation is simply the lens through which the light is shining. And God can change the lens anytime He wants. So He says, okay, we'll do a healing lens over here for this person. We'll do a prophetic lens over here for this person. We'll do etc., etc. When Paul, rather when Peter speaks on the day of Pentecost, he says, and so repent and be baptized uh, that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the gift is the Holy Spirit. What we receive is the gift. And listen, when the Holy Spirit came to live in you, just like I said at the beginning, He brings all of His attributes, and He also brings all of His gifts. What is living in you is the capacity to bring a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, healing, tongues, deliverance, you know, discerning of spirits, miracles, faith. All of them are in you right now. Right now. If you've been filled, if you've received the Holy Spirit, they're in you. Right now. So when people ask you, what is your gift? What gift? What spiritual gift do you have? That's nonsense. You see, again, let, let me illustrate it. If someone is sick, and they're in the church, and you are their friend, and you, or you, you are a leader, or whatever it is, who needs the gift of healing? The sick person. So you're just the conduit, and the gift is given through you to the person. The person gets the gift. You don't go after that and say, I've got the gift of healing. All you were was a downpipe. Yeah, my ministry. Now there's another category of gifting, which we're not going to go into today, which has to do with ministries that you exercise in the church. But that's totally different. But I'm talking here about the charismata. And the, as far as they are concerned, we never have the gifts. We only get to give them away. We only get to pass them on. And church is supposed to be the place where we practice that, where you can try and fail and still be okay where you can get better at hearing 
until such a time as you, you can walk out of, the, out of the church with confidence, knowing that the next person you meet, you, you may just be in line to be the person who offers the gift of life to them in some way. Whether it's the person waiting in your table at the restaurant, whether it's the person in, the, in front of you in the supermarket queue, whether it's your neighbor across the fence, whether it's a beggar in the street, you can be the agent of the kingdom of God to everyone you meet. Because that's what Jesus was, and that's what Jesus still is in you. And so, um, I, want to, I want to finish with this. Um, remembering Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the, the, they spoke as the Spirit gave them the speaking. In, right in the beginning, when, when the, this darkness was on the face of the deep, there was chaos. The Holy Spirit hoovered over the surface of the deep. And then God spoke, and there was light. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says the same thing. All of these are given to us, by, given to the individual by the Holy Spirit as he wills, as he decides, as he initiates. And so the sequence goes like this. Number one, availability. Number two, so in other words, you be there and you say, pick me, pick me, pick me, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm available, I'm available, I'm available. And that's how we should come to church. Every time we come to church, we should be people who say, Lord, if you can put a gift into these hands, I will be faithful to pass them on. If you want to put a word into this mouth, I will speak it on your behalf. The second is that anointing happens. You experience the coming upon or the flowing forth of the Spirit. I don't know which direction that happens in. It differs from time to time. And sometimes, how do you know? Because the next thing is awareness. From the anointing, you suddenly become aware. There's something going on here that's not just me having a nice time with Jesus in worship, but there's something else going on. He's stirring me to give something. How do you know? How do you become aware? I spoke earlier about emotion, sometimes compassion, sometimes just a face coming to your mind, sometimes the beginnings of your heart racing, adrenaline going, you know, uh, something happening here in your throat where you're going, I'm too terrified to speak and I'm too terrified to keep silent. It's like this, it's like this, Caring. You're, you're straddling the tension between the ages. Your flesh is saying, no! And your, and your spirit is saying, yes, I get to play! See, the thing about God's team is that there are no reserves on the bench. We, we all get to play. You come to church not to be a spectator. You come to church, or a reserve on the bench. You come to church in order to get engaged, get involved in the practice. Go and learn some moves. Learn how to dribble the ball. Learn how to kick. Take the shot. And every so often you miss. And every so often you hit. So the awareness comes to different people in different ways. Uh, I, I have this thing that happens when it comes to healing, like words of knowledge about healing. I actually see um, like an elbow. I, I, 
but I see them in a it's a, it's a it's a it's a not it's a not exact way. I see it's an impression. It's an impression. It's an elbow. It's a hip. It's a whatever. I, I, there was somebody in our church in Cape Town that used to get the uh, get the physical manifestations, and she would be in agony because she would have the back pain, and she knew that she didn't have a bad back, and she would say, "Okay, it's lumbar region, it's uh, vertebrae five and six, or whatever, uh, or thoracic region," and she would, she, uh, sure enough, people would come out and they'd get healed. So sometimes God does it that way. So be aware of things. Sometimes he just draws your attention to something. Sometimes it's words. John Wimber talked about how he would actually literally see the words like a ticker tape, like a, like a, what do you call it, that, you know, that ribbon thing where, where the words are literally being broadcast. And he would see that. that that's cool. That's a, ni- that's a nice one. It's quite exact. Um, very often, God has spoken to me in terms of words of knowledge, like he will, he will give me, uh, I would see a face of someone that's not in the room, that's someone from time gone by, but they had this name. One of the first times that God gave me a name of a person in a word of knowledge, he showed me this, this, he flashed this person in front of my eyes, a guy called Raymond. Anyway, long story short, we were in a, in a conference. There were about 2,000 people present, and I went, is there a Raymond here? And as I said the name, the Lord gave me the word for him, which had to do with being betrayed, and uh, a wife who had uh, um, been unfaithful, and, and so on. And, and this had happened in the church. And anyway, long story short... Uh, I said, so are you here, Raymond? Because God wants to, wants to bless you, wants to heal that thing. There was a balcony, staring at the balcony, looking around. Nobody moved. Nobody moved. I said, will you come and speak to me afterwards if you're here, Raymond? Nobody came. So I thought, okay, I'll never do that again. No, no, I didn't. I just thought, oh my goodness, I guess you've got to get a few wrong before you get one right. Eighteen months later, a guy walks into the Bryanston Vineyard. He's still a good friend of mine today. He says, hello, Costa, uh, I, I'm here to apologize to you. I said, oh, he said, my name's Raymond. <laughs> it was Raymond. And uh, 18 months later, I said, come here, let me slap you upside the head. There were 2,000 people in the room in in whose presence I made an absolute idiot of myself, and you want to apologize to me in private? Come here. (laughs) So we get, but uh, I use that to illustrate the fact that sometimes we we get the words through pictures. We get the words through just an, an impression, something that goes on in your knower. Nowhere. Sometimes it's through um, a, a word that, you know, language. Sometimes it's the face of a person. Sometimes it's a picture of a part of a body. And that can get quite embarrassing. 
I won't tell any of those stories. Okay, so the point is when you have become aware, the only way that you can release that tension is by acting on what you've become aware of. Action. Action is the only thing that will make you make the tension go away. So I want to take you through what we call the five-step ministry model. The first one is contact and setting. What do we mean by contact and setting? We mean when we begin to minister, and here I'm talking specifically about ministering one-on-one, but, but it also applies in a, in a group setting. It goes like this. In a group setting, or in fact with an individual, you, the first thing that we do is we say, Come Holy Spirit. We want to make contact between this person or this group of people and the living God by the Spirit. We say, invite the Holy Spirit to come. See, the premise of all ministry that we do is Acts chapter 2 verse 19. It says, uh, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. The Holy Spirit will be poured out. I believe that every time we gather, Jesus said it, like this, he said, when you enter a house, say, shalom to this house. And then he says, and say, tell them, receive the Holy Spirit. And tell them the kingdom of God is here. So we, we kind of just, we, we think we, we can't invent a better way of doing that than the way Jesus told us to do it, you see. So that's what we do. We say, come Holy Spirit. We say, peace to this house. We say, the kingdom of God is here. We say, receive the Holy Spirit. And we wait. Contact and setting is invite the Holy Spirit, tell the person to kind of just be open to receiving what God is wanting to do, and then wait. And then try to watch what he's doing. Um, how do we know, just before we go there, uh, what are some of the ways that you know that the Holy Spirit has come upon someone? There's a list at the back of your notes that you can read later, but, but, but just you, you tell me before you read the list. What are some of the ways? Tears? Shaking? Shaking. Laughter? One of the ones that... Um, I see a lot of, is fluttering eyelids. Have you seen that thing? Where the eyelids go, like, like little butterflies, butterfly kisses, <laughs> little things like that. It's, it's a phenomenon. It's just it's, uh, something you can't manufacture. Sometimes flushing. It's like people go red in the face when the, when the Lord is on them. Some of you who might have been where Christy Wimber was at our conference, I don't know if you ever saw her in action. If you see her in action, you'll see she literally, it's almost like she glows in the dark. When the Lord comes on her, she goes blood, blood red. And there's nothing, it's not like she's, she's um, hot or, you know, puffing and panting because she's walking up and down or anything like that. Just standing and the, there's this flush that comes on her, like a radiance. Sometimes it's, uh, it's an expression, like a, an expression we call peace just like a peaceful expression on a person's face. It's like they are resting. 
Oh, and that, of course, leads to some of the others, like falling down and, and uh, flipping around like a fish and stuff like that. And sometimes none of the above. So here's what we know. If we invite him, he will come. If we wait, he will come. The more we wait, the more he comes. We in the Western world especially, and uh, <clears throat> people in urban environments even more especially, we're way too impatient. We don't give time to the Holy Spirit. So, wait. The second is interview and diagnosis. Basically, asking at two levels. Asking the Lord. Please, Lord, show me how we should pray here. What's going on? And, of course... This is a thing that is an important thing. Ask the person. When you say, open your eyes, look at me, tell me what's hurting. What do you need from God? The Holy Spirit doesn't leave the room at that point. Okay? Holy Spirit is not at all embarrassed when we just have ordinary conversation. So, talk. Ask. It doesn't all have to happen by word of knowledge. Sometimes it happens by the person just telling you. My foot sore. That's the next thing, of course, is diagnosis, which is to say, why is the foot sore? You see, sometimes uh, what people do is they start praying immediately for the foot. In the name of Jesus, heal this foot and the pain go away. And they haven't asked the question like, how are your shoes fitting? Because sometimes it's because there's a nail sticking through the heel of the shoe and it's going into their heel and so they're sore because there's a stupid nail in the shoe. So at that point you don't go, in Jesus' name, be healed of that pain. What we say is, give me the shoe and let's pull out the nail. See? Sometimes you've got to go to the cause before you can pray for the symptoms to go. Uh, okay, so interview and diagnosis, that's got to do with knowing what's going on, what's hurting. And then the third thing is prayer selection. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. So sometimes our prayer goes like this. Holy Spirit, I, just, I want to bless what you're doing in this person's life. I bless your ministry here. You do it. And... And under your breath and in your own heart, you're going, get him, get him, get him, get him. You fix this. You fix You promised. Fix this. And you're saying to the person, I just want to bless what the Lord is doing. Get him, God. Get him, God. Then there are other prayers that are very helpful, like, help! But you don't say those out loud either because people can get afraid if you... Pray prayers like you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> the fact is, m- maybe I should just let you off the hook here and say, for the rest of your life, if you really get involved with the Holy Spirit, for the rest of your life, you're going to operate mostly in a world in which you do not know what you're doing. You'll never know what you're doing. You'll never be comfortable. You'll never be an expert. Yeah, we live. We live by faith, not by sight. We live in a realm where we're always asking 
God to let us see a little bit more from his perspective. But he's a little bit um, protective. He doesn't ever want us to see it exactly as he sees it. So he gives us little glimpses. Otherwise, we get proud. He gives us a glimpse. So prayer selection is, is the next thing. Sometimes in that prayer selection, you will hear things and you will see things. Sometimes you will have um, prompts that will go break the curse. By the way, we need, to, we need to understand that there's more going on than is going on. There's a lot of spiritual stuff going on that manifests as physical. And we can be so concerned about the physical that we forget that there's a war. There's a war. There's a spiritual thing going on. And sometimes the Lord will get you to do outrageous things. A uh, famous story about that in the 1988 conference. Uh, sorry, in, in 1982, there was uh, John, when John first introduced us to all of this and brought a team, and they were doing the stuff, and we were all learning from them, and etc., etc. Et there was a, a man who came to the meetings, and he had a disease of the gums, and uh, he had lost all his teeth, and the gums were so inflamed that he literally couldn't eat um, solid food. He couldn't wear dentures, so he couldn't eat solid food. So he was living on a liquid diet, and he, uh, and he came to the thing, and uh, there was a young girl called Donna Schroeder, and Donna was ma married to one of the youth pastors at Anaheim Vineyard, and so anyway, so this guy says to me, uh, Oh, no, I, I called Donna over to come and pray for the, for the guy. So she's praying for him, and he says, <laughs> he says to her, I feel that you need to put your fingers in my mouth. What would you do? <laughs> she said, let me call my husband. <laughs> good, good girl, very, very wise girl. She went and got Glenn, and he came over. And he said, I think you should do it, Donna. So she did. She, she, she cringed a little bit, but she did. She put her fingers in his mouth. I was standing alongside. She put her fingers in his mouth. And she prayed. And as she prayed, the pain left. That was the first thing. The second thing that happened was she commanded the teeth to grow again. God gave her that prayer to pray. It said, God... Put teeth back into this mouth. And as she said it, little lumps came up under her fingers in the man's mouth. And she got such a fright, she pulled her hands out of there. And, uh, and it stayed just like that, these lumps under his, under his gums. And that is the last we saw of him. 1988, the guy comes to the Wimber Conference in, at the Nazarene complex, and, uh, and he, he comes and finds me. He says, is there a young lady called Donna in the group that's come from California? I said, Donna, no, no, Donna is not here this time. And he said, I don't know if you remember me, but I remember you. He said, I was the man she prayed for and put fingers in my, and he opened his mouth and he showed me a full set of brand new perfect teeth that had grown in his mouth. Now, 
Again, I, th I often think about what would have happened if Donna had lost her nerve, either of putting fingers in his mouth at his request, or second of all, commanding the teeth to grow. Uh, so, we will sometimes be told to do unusual things. Practice on the little ones, but keep going. Okay, number four, prayer engagement. That is a constant interaction between you, the person, and the Lord. Constant thing. And, and realize that prayer is a, a living thing. It's a, it's a conversation. Sometimes it really involves you stopping and saying, I think that we, uh, you, or, or uh, maybe addressing the person uh, at, a, at, a, at another level. Sometimes it does involve dealing with demonic forces. Sometimes it involves, as I said before, breaking curses. Sometimes it, de it has to do with the nail in the shoe can be an emotional issue that has led to a physical one. Or it can be a spiritual issue or a relational issue. Um, again, we don't, we've run out of time, so I won't go through many more stories now. Um, and when I... When we talk about prayer engagement, another thing that is a very good thing to do when it comes to personal ministry like this is operate in teams. If you've never done this before, get alongside someone who has and let them train you, let them coach you. You'll see your own faith will grow as you operate in tandem with someone else very often. And then finally, we have what we call post-prayer direction. Jesus would always, not always, often say to someone that he healed, what, is, what are some of the things he said? Go and wash in the pool. Go and show yourself to the priests. Go and sin no more. So, so he, and, and essentially I think when he said go and sin no more, it was with a little knowing smile because they knew what he meant. But he didn't expose them. But he just said, you know, you know that thing that you've been doing that is the trigger, that is the doorway to this thing that's going on in your body, just stop it. Just go and don't do it anymore, okay? So he, he would do, but, but don't get too involved in counseling someone in this post-prayer direction. Sometimes it's just a case of, uh, I think that what I need to do is to have you connect with a home group leader so that you get more a support group to help you grow through this thing in your life. Okay, so, so recognize the fact that we operate in a community called the church. That you're not a lone ranger and you're not about to launch your own international, translocal, tr intergalactic ministry. <laughs> you're just a little cog in a big machine. Okay, so be the following. Number one, be there. When you're in church, understand again, come with open hands. Be available to God. Second of all, be biblical. If you, if you have things that you feel to say to someone that, that you know is out of line with, with Scripture, that's clearly not the Lord. Okay, so you, you, you need to always measure that 
uh, be gentle. Be gentle. Um, what's the, word, the, the phrase? People do not care so much about what you know as they want to know how much you care. Um, and so be gentle. Be, uh, be an expression of God's love. And here's, the, here's the, the rule of thumb to remember. If nothing else happens in that person's life as a result of your praying with them, let them go away knowing that God loves them. That they've encountered the love of God. Affirm the love of God over and over and over and over again. It's not a strange thing that um, most people, when, they, when it comes to giving a prophetic word to someone, most entry-level prophetic words will have the words, God loves you, Jesus loves you. It's, an, it's not strange. Why? Because that's the nature of God. When God wants to show himself to someone through you, he will usually, the word love and the concept of love is going to be in there somewhere. So don't, don't balk at that. Don't say, well, that sounds so feeble. Start there, and sometimes maybe that's the most powerful thing you will say to someone. Remind them that God loves them. And then finally, be open to correction, or another word I could use is accountable. Especially when it comes to prophecies. Be accountable. Sometimes when you're going to give a directional word to someone, don't do it unless you've got a leader. You bring a leader into the picture and say, I just want you to hear what I'm going to say to this person and please correct me if you think I'm off, I'm off the mark. Okay? What it says is we may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all be encouraged. Then it goes on to say, but the spirit of the prophets is subject to accountable to the prophets. That's not only it's account, you're accountable in yourself, you're also accountable to other leaders. Let, let all prophesy one by one and let, let, let the others weigh what is said. Discern whether it's right or wrong. So be open to correction. And here endeth the lesson. So should we take a few minutes you okay? Another 10 minutes, you okay with that? If you have to leave, you're excused. But let's just take a little bit of time to see what the Lord wants to do. Let's stand. Again, Lord, we say, as you taught us to do, peace to this house. Shalom to this house. Shalom to every person who is here today. Let your peace come and rest upon each one, Lord. We say, Holy Spirit, come and bring something of that age to come so that your people may learn again how much you love us and how much you want to change us into 
a better reflection, that you want to polish us so that we may reflect you better, more well, with a greater degree of integrity. Polish us. Let your presence come. Let your presence come. Let your presence come. And I just bless your ministry and every one, Lord. I bless your life over every life. I bless the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. The gift who is the Spirit. In every heart. And now, Lord, I want to pray that you would shine forth. Shine forth through one another to one another. Shine forth in words in season to the weary. Shine forth in encouraging, in wisdom, in knowledge. Shine forth in healing. Be in touch. Let the, let the presence of the Spirit inside you connect with your own heart and your own mind and even your body. Be aware in your body of responses to the presence of God. Just go with whatever it is. Whatever it is He's prompting. Let your anointing come, Lord. Let your anointing come. Stir, stir the very mouth of the river that it may pour forth, that it may rush out in blessing. Let it come. Let it come. Let it come. Let it come. And as you're experiencing the anointing, be asking the Lord to show you what it is that he's wanting to do. Sometimes it's just for you. So, so just by the way, uh, we, we may all come willing to give to others, but sometimes the Lord says, it's your turn to receive. I want you to have the grace of receiving today. So no, we mustn't feel as though everyone needs to be giving. Sometimes it's just your turn to receive. Yeah, I bless that. I bless that in the name of Jesus. Bless it, Lord, in the name of Jesus.
as you're praying with Margie, just um, bless what God is doing. Okay? Bless what God is doing. You can see there's an there's a mo- emotional moving that's happening. To her and you, you want to bless that. But then ask the Lord to show you more about what it is. What's going on? Is this tears? Are these tears for her or are these tears for someone that God is giving her compassion for? Now, I want to release the rest of you to move around. If if you feel like God is prompting you to go and pray with someone, just do that. You don't have to have the full deal before you go. Okay, so sometimes it's just that God gives you, says, "Go, go to that person. And as you go, and as you start to pray, the Lord will give you more. Sometimes it's just to pray. Sometimes it's to bring a specific word. Sometimes it's to bring healing. More will happen as you step out. Step off the cliff and the Lord will build the bridge as you go. All right? So let's, let's uh, let some messiness happen. Move around. Go as the Lord leads you. Sometimes it's just to the person next to you. But don't restrict it to that. pray, I want to ask the people who are doing the praying, keep your eyes open and watch. That will very often be the encouragement to your faith that will trigger the release of the full gift that God wants to give the person. Sometimes when you start um, giving a word of knowledge and a person nods their head, it stimulates your faith to be able to hey, okay, I've got something right there. And then you'll get more. Sometimes when you see the phenomena happening to people, you just know, because you prayed, the Holy Spirit came. That's a good thing. Increase your power. Increase your power. As we, as we, uh, the rest of us, as we're just waiting before the Lord, just um, bear in mind that prophetic word, that part of what God wants to do is through His truth set you free of any fears or reservations, set you free of being caught in, caught in a kind of um, trap, paralysis trap, paralysis of fear. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Pour out your spirit. I want to pray that you would put gifts in our hands that are not for us. Put gifts in our hands that are for others. Move us, Lord God, with what moves you. Break our hearts with what breaks yours. Let your heart become our heart. And our heart become yours. 
your life. Feels like the Lord wants to break self-imposed barriers. Barriers of um, either um, feeling as though the best has already been. In other words, the, the barrier of age or of, um, uh, what's the word, uh, like been there, done that. Uh, it's a kind of the kind of cynical thing that happens to some of us. Cynicism that when our, when our um, pains, our aches and pains and our barriers are greater than, or seen as more than opportunities. One, one guy said, our dreams need to exceed our memories or we're in deep trouble. Let my reach exceed my grasp said Brian or what's the heaven for so I felt just that the Lord wants to do that he wants to remove from your own thinking he wants to remove from your mind any sense that it's over for for you you've missed the opportunity or any of those things and this is what the Lord said to me say over this people that as much as you can hear new things so you can do new things. Because it's as the prophetic word came that, that, uh, that, that says it. By the truth, we are freed to actually move into what that truth is prompting us to. Truth is always to be acted upon. Lord, I want to pray that you would not only break barriers in us, but that you would offer, that you would put before us the places, the opportunities into which we must step to demonstrate the fact that heaven is in the room wherever we go. Heaven goes with us wherever we go. The Lord is going to give you opportunities in the next few days. He's going to give you opportunities to show, to demonstrate the fact that where you go, heaven goes, Jesus goes. And He is still working his works through your hands, through your eyes, through your mouth, through your ears, your feet. He is working his works. So, Father, thank you so much for the grace that you give us. Thank you that there is no if only with you, that grace is cancelled out if only. Grace has cancelled out the feeling of lost and missed opportunities. Grace is the constant, constant reality of new beginnings. New beginnings every moment in every day. We thank you. Thank you so much for counting us in. Thank you so much that you pick us for your team. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have put your spirit within us. Thank you so much that you have changed the way we are so that those people who did not care, care deeply now. 
People who had no love now love with everything they have. Those of us who, didn't, who had no confidence, now we know that we are kings and priests of the living God. We bless you. We bless who you are. We bless you in one another. We do say this, Lord. The church is your best idea. The church is that means by which you will express yourself in the world. Christ among us, the hope of glory. Not only glory for us, glory for the world. Glory for the community. Glory for a planet. Yeah, some of them said they felt it. I didn't. I wasn't aware. Mm. Fantastic. It is. Aha. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is new beginnings. Shaking up, shaking up old pathways and creating new ones. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Okay, I felt uh, one of the things the Lord said is that tomorrow um, is a day of healing. So I don't know if any of you are struggling with any chronic conditions or if you have friends who are. But I felt like um, one of the things that he may want to do is, um, is heal the sick in the service tomorrow. So, so um, bring them. Bring the aches and pains and bring the friends who have aches and pains. Okay? All right. And just by the way, you are going to do the healing. 